You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to invite you to open up to Genesis um, chapter 28. And we're moving and cruising along uh, in our series called uh, Relentless Grace. It is uh, a segment of about 10 chapters in the book of Genesis that focuses on the life of Jacob. And uh, Jacob... Um, is one of the two twin brothers that was born to, um, to let's see, Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, and so um, from the day that he was born, he was called to be blessed, to be a blessing. He didn't know that yet. Uh, he didn't know who he was. He didn't know where he came from. He knew that his father had a blessing, but he didn't know much about his own blessing. And so from the womb, he wrestled with his brother. And out of the womb, he began wrestling with God from the very beginning of his life. And so that's where we're picking up uh, in Genesis chapter 28 to see uh, a continuance uh, of that story, of Jacob's story, as, as relentless grace chases him. Um, uh, I was a, I'm a unique individual in the sense that I liked high school better than college. Uh, I was a big fish in a small pond. I was the only Asian kid in my school, only Asian kid in the basketball team. And um, I, was, uh, I was elected, my senior superlative was um, uh, best personality. Uh, so apparently I was the nice guy, and, and I think teachers liked me a lot. I was the uh, student body vice president. That meant that um, I wrote a bunch of like Adam Sandler cover songs and sang them over the PA to like raise awareness to raise uh, cans. We actually collected 110,000 cans my year. There you go, down in uh, South Bend, Indiana, year uh, 2000, singing Adam Sandler songs and so forth, trying to raise awareness for the cans. But, um, but I loved high school. I loved youth group. I used to lead worship in youth group. Met Kyra in youth group. That's a ministry called Flirt to Convert. Uh, it's a 401C3 and I could hook you up with it. Um, I was not a believer at that time, and, and the Lord just got a hold of me, and um, I had a youth group I loved and a youth pastor I looked up to, and, and life was really good. And then the Lord uh, brought me out to Bloomington, Indiana. That's Bobby Knightville. That's where the Hoosiers are from. And uh, it's just right in the middle of, of kind of nowhere, but it's 40,000 kids at this school. It's a big old school. It's kind of like the public Clemson of Indiana, I'd say. And so uh, I lived in Reed Dormitory. Um, there was probably 700 rooms in there, and I was no longer the big fish in the small pond. I was a little fish in a huge pond, and uh, just kind of finding my way like Nemo in there. And, um, and I hated it. Um, I, didn't like, I didn't like the lack of structure. I, I didn't like feeling anonymous. I didn't like feeling like nobody knew me. I didn't, feel, I didn't like the church that I was at. I, I felt like I just kind of blended in, and um, I just struggled. I, I'd say I struggled probably three of the four years in college. Um, I think probably had a little bit of just depression. I, I know that my faith was like, um, it wasn't shaky in terms of like morality or anything like that, but a lot of the questions my professors were asking and the different denominations and, you know, the kind of, the, the world out there of church world that's not in your little youth group, in your little town, in your little village where you know everybody and everybody knows you just, just feels a lot different. And I say all that to say that, um, it ties into the story this morning with Jacob, but I say all that to say is that um, in different sections of our life, uh, whether because of, of push, I call it push, meaning you got to get out of something, you got to change a relationship, you got to change a habit, you got you to move on from somewhere, maybe, maybe change a church or, or you're going to a new college because of push. And also because of pull, because the Lord's hand is on your life and he never releases you and he's always calling you somewhere. Between the push and the pull, you'll find yourself in the season of wilderness. And wilderness isn't bad. As a matter of fact, some people will use the terminology wrongly. I think it's like it's a dry season. It's a desert season. I just can't feel God near me. I don't feel him. And I would just push back on this and say that 
That's a lie. You're never alone. God is always with you. And what you're missing in the wilderness is not so much him, but you're just missing your home and your comfort. And the wilderness season is important because it strips away all of the, the things you depend on. It strips away your affirmation and your correction and your comfort. It strips away the audience and it leaves you alone in the wilderness. But the thing about the, the, thing about the wilderness, the wilderness season, when, you, when you're getting pushed out of the place you've been to go to the place that you're called to be, is that you've, made, you've been made ripe for an encounter with God. You might think that you feel far from God. As a matter of fact, in the wilderness, it's actually where we're closer to the real God than ever before. We're closer to an opportunity to, to, to encounter grace, and we're closer to an opportunity for God to wrestle us so we can have our name changed. You'll find that um, in small church environments and in places where mom and dad's rules collect the borders and define the right and wrong and the up and down, um, you can spend some time leaning on other people's faith, listening to other people talk about the scripture, remembering other people's encounters and, and drafting off of other people's intimacy and relationship with God. But in the wilderness, he gets you ready to meet him face to face. And he calls Jacob out of that place. He's a completely different man and his name is completely changed. And um, he no longer is talking about a God that he knows. He's talking about a God that he knows, that he talked to face to face. He's encountered He's encountered grace. And so um, this, is the, this, is, this is where the passage um, meets us. Uh, it says in, uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 28, and we're going to skip down through the whole uh, marriage ceremonies for, um, for Esau there. In verse 10, you'll pick up there. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for, for Haran. Uh, and so Beersheba is, is the place where Abraham uh, dug a well and planted a tamarisk tree, and he called on the everlasting God. It was um, kind of the final conclusion of who God was and revealed himself to be to Father Abraham. And so Abraham, in the middle of this, um, uh, this Canaanite land, decides to build this land and buy a plot and root himself down in this place. And he, and he commands in the future, both Joseph and Jacob and Abraham desire to be, to be buried in Beersheba. This is the place, a little, you know, little, little line of territory that Abraham bought with a bunch of money that he had from the Philistines to be buried here. And so it's saying Jacob left the place where his father had established um, a household, his, his grandfather in this case. And he went back to the homeland, to Haran. This is where Abraham comes from. So he's, so he's leaving from the place where, um, where, where Abraham had established a home and he's going back to the place where Abraham came from at the very beginning of his life. And says, verse 11, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. There's a famous Beatles song, uh, if you guys know it, and it goes like this. He says, he's a real nowhere man coming from a nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Do you know this song? He's a real nowhere man, he says, living in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Jacob is in this place, and it's going to say it three times in the passage. He's, he's not in a place that's on the map. He's in, a, he's in a nowhere place. He's in a certain place. And the nowhere place means that you don't know up from down, or you don't know right from wrong, and there's no one there to cheer you along, and there's nobody to tell you you're going the right way, and there's nobody to tell you which way is right and which denomination is right, and there's nobody to tell you if that person's speaking truth to you or not. You're out there on your own. You got no money. All you have is a pillow that's made out of a stone. And the sun has set. Have you ever been there? When it feels like your past is brighter than your future. And the sun sets. And for all Jacob is concerned, he is a lost man in the wilderness, and he's got no, no plans He's a nowhere man from a nowhere place with no, place, no plans for himself, right? This is where he brings us. Kyra, my dear wife, 
uh, moved here ahead of me to be in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. So I can thank Kyra for being in Greenville and not in South Bend, Indiana anymore. A uh, whole lot less snowy, I'm sure, today. And she was out here. Uh, I, know, I know she moved here probably a week before September 11th. And uh, she, um, I'm bragging on her. I mean, she, I, didn't you, I think you got, like, picked to be part of the senior, what is that called where you go to the senior year and you're, I don't know. She was like in the, what's that called? The homecoming court. She was like part of the homecoming court. She was there for like 10 minutes. They were like, she's going to be on homecoming. So she, they picked her out. Um, but she was just lonely and, and it was tough. They were like, somebody threw a football at her in gym class. It was not a good start uh, over at old jail man. Um, but that time period, September 11th in 2001, when she moved here to Greenville, South Carolina, was a massive time because she was made lonely for the Lord in that. And I think it was in a small church. I think it was called New Life, but I'm not really sure. And they were singing that old song, you know, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. You know that song? So you guys got your heads bobbing. We're ready to just get saved all over again from that song. But it was in the loneliness that the Lord touched her. And um, she would describe her experience as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there is times when his presence is just so... I mean, it's everywhere, right? But if you draw near to him, he draws near to you, and there's a manifestation of that, and there's a heaviness that can come at different times. And so it's, it's in that nowhere place. I mean, it's just in the middle of nowhere, in this place that you don't know, where your father's rules aren't applied anymore, and your, your goals don't seem to make any sense anymore. And, and the language, even, as you're trying to describe and navigate what it feels like to you know, um, be, be rejected or left out from parties or not really know what you're going to do with college or really know where you're going to get the money to go to college. Like it's in all that nowhereness that God begins to speak and show up. So he's actually closer to God than he thinks. And so here's this encounter. So verse 12, it says, he has this dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with, the, with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there stood... And the commentators will say, there stood above, just above Jacob, not lofty, high off into the rainbows, into the clouds, but just hovering over like a mother would hover over her children. Hovering over Jacob is the Lord. Jacob has his eyes open between what the scriptures would call the unseen. We don't see everything that, that there is. There's an unseen world. We see that with Elijah in the book of 2 Kings. We see it with Gideon. Do you remember the prophet Elijah? He um, was able to... To, to navigate victory for the Israelites when the, when, when the enemies would, would come to attack, they'd say, who is it that's, that's betraying us? Who is giving the information? They said, it's the prophet Elijah. He can hear what you whisper in your bedroom, right? And so uh, these enemies, they go to attack Israel, and the king of Israel is worried, and, and he, says, he says, Lord, this king is worried. I need you to open up his eyes. Remember what happens? So the king's eyes open, and he sees there's chariots of fire and armies around them fighting on their behalf. And, and so isn't that true today? Maybe not the main message, but there's armies of angels that are fighting and protecting you in ways that you don't even know and haven't asked for. There's an unseen world out there and it, it is not separate. It is interactive with our world. And he says, open up this king's eyes so he knows that those that are with us are more than those that are against us. And did you know that? That there's chariots of fire and there's agents that are moving up and down. Angels are not just little cherubims from the, you know, Happy Feelings Card Club or whatever, right? They're, they're massive creatures that uh, people bow down in awe and fear. And if we could only see with our eyes the unseen world, that place, we, we would know that those that are for us and with us are so much more than those against us. And so, and so Jacob has this dream. It's in the wilderness. It's part of the story. He had to get stripped away of his father's legacy so he could see God for himself. 
That's the thing is we, we want to stay in the village, but it's not in the village that we encounter God for ourselves. It's in the wilderness. It's in the new place. It's in that place in the in-between when you don't know where you're headed and you don't know where you're going. And so he, he opens up his eyes in the stream and, and he, sees, he sees heaven. He sees heaven as a firsthand experience, a firsthand encounter. He says there's angels coming and going and ascending and, and descending. And not that it's this only just interactive, but that it's, that it's for Jacob, that it's, that it's trying to communicate to Jacob. And what he sees is that, is that God, it says, is hovering over Jacob and, just, and, and, and watching over Jacob and, and, and just, above, just above his head. Jacob has is, is got to be surprised in this, right? Because in Babel we know that, that the, the human understanding of religion is through the pathway of a ziggurat, like it's, it's a temple where uh, the Babel, remember Babel, it's like, let us create you know, this tower in our name and we'll have glory for our own name's sake and we'll climb up to Babel and, and reach these different hierarchies of, of transcendence so that we could see and understand God, that we would move up the ladder to get to heaven, but heaven opens up for Jacob while he's not looking for heaven, meets him in the middle of his dream, confronts Jacob, meets him when he's not looking for him, and shows heaven open so that God's not asking him to climb up, but rather that heaven comes down to him. And Jacob sees that, that God is not actually opening heaven to put a stairway to heaven, but rather a stairway from heaven to meet him when he wasn't looking for him, to fight for him when he wasn't fighting for himself. It was in the wilderness that he, that he found God. He was not far from God in the desert and the wilderness. He's actually closer than he ever was before. And I wonder if somebody needs to hear that this morning, that you're in a new season and you're just uncomfortable because you don't have your friends anymore and you don't have anybody to blame anymore except for yourself. And you don't have anybody to support you and you don't have your father's rules or your lessons. You don't have a church that's telling you right from wrong and up and down, right? If you're new and in this transition, you're still looking for a home. You're still looking for a place. You're in a nowhere place with a nowhere plan. And all you got is a pillow to lay your hand in. It feels like the sun is set on your back. But God is saying in this story, he is actually closer to you than ever before. When you're in the wilderness place and when you've got no one else to cry out to and no one else to call out to, God is not calling you to climb up, but to climb down. And so, um, you know, it's like the Hindus and the Buddhists, like there's different ways we should be washing ourselves if we're Hindu in the, in the river Ganges and, you know, seven stages and eight stages of enlightenment. Like every religion, every Every time somebody asks the question about what happens after death and what happens above the clouds, people will always orient themselves about ascending up a mountain. But Jesus came to say, the kingdom of heaven is not up there. It's down here. And it's come to meet with you. It's come to know you. It's come to encounter you into this space. And so I just want to think about that even for a minute. Like as we worship, are we worshiping because we're trying to get something or because we have something? When you come into this space, are you here this morning because you're trying to get a blessing or because you already know that you are? I don't have anything that you don't have, and neither does Timothy, and neither do any of the people that you've seen, whether it's church leaders or anything else. Like, like the, the stairway that heaven opens up in this Genesis book, the first time we ever peer through the portal and see you know, the bridge between heaven and earth, God is not asking people to come up. Rather, he's descending the stairs to come down. And so I wonder sometimes, in our lengthier worship services and our singing, right? And, and sometimes I see people when they worship, they just like, it looks like they're trying to get something they don't have. 
And the posture that I, that I see with Jacob and the way that God has interacted with Jacob is, is stop fighting for what I've already wanted to give you the whole time. I'm not far from you. I'm near. And I'm asking you to come up and wash yourself seven times in the river Ganshi. I'm asking you to receive what I'm trying to pour out from you from the very beginning of time, that I would come down and meet with you and be with you just like I was with Abraham and just like I was with your father Isaac. I want to meet you here in this nowhere place. And so uh, he blesses him. And so God says to Jacob, he says, I'm the Lord, your God, your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land which you are lying in. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to the land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God is beginning to reestablish the blessing with Jacob. It wasn't just that the blessing was for the grandfather, but the father. It was for Jacob. It was for the face-to-face encounter and the face-to-face blessing. And Jacob notices, just like we notice, God has no pretext and no condition for how and why he blesses him. God blesses him because he decides to bless him. God blesses him because he blesses him. There's no condition. There's no, there's no um, contract. There's no cause and effect. God simply comes down. He's not bringing up Esau. He's not bringing up uh, the birthright. He's not bringing up anything that Jacob has done. He simply says, I have called you by your name that I would bless you. Just like I blessed Abraham, just like I blessed your father, I'm going to bless you because I'm going to bless you. I'm, I'm good because I'm good. My father, uh, Cam Chow Wong, he was uh, eight on the Enneagram, is an eight on the Enneagram, still is, man, born and raised, and uh, was a bull. He was born in the year of the bull, and his name in Chinese means bull. I mean, what else are you going to do with a guy like that? He's 5'7 and could run through that wall. He went from white belt to, to brown belt in my karate class. He was just picking up boards and snapping them in half. And he lied. He lied when he was 16 to join the Hong Kong Police Department uh, because he wanted to go and do his, do his part in Hong Kong. And he was known all the way around those places. He would not take any bribes. He would not take any money. And he didn't take any stuff from anybody. Uh, as, he wouldn't say it that way. But uh, there was a time when his father, you know, didn't approve of what he was doing. You know, he left home too early and, and he was supposed to finish up school. But my dad, you know, once he has his mind made up, he just does what he wants to do. And so um, he ends up um, going to police school and joining the force and staying in a church. He had this priest that, like, let him stay there, you know, um, for, for a little bit of money. And so my dad's just saying, yeah, you know what, like, father, don't worry, you know, like, uh, I'm going to make some money from this police thing. I'm going to make the team. And then once I get it, I'm going to pay you back and I'll get out of there. And so he was there for maybe three or four or five months. And, uh, and he hadn't talked to his family and, and kind of was going his own way. At the end of the time, uh, when he graduated from the force to join the police, he turned around to tell the priest, how much do I owe you? And he says, oh, Cam, you don't owe me anything. Your father's been paying the rent the whole entire time. Uh, Chinese like fathering is very honor-based. You don't do that. You don't leave your home and you don't go and make your own way, you know? It's like, it's about honoring your parent and respect and so forth. And so my father, in receiving that, that payment, that gift, um, uh, was receiving something quite contrary to his culture. He was receiving grace. He was receiving mercy. Um, when, we, when we meet God face to face because of something we did, because of goodness, and when we're pursuing God on our own, uh, we, we, we encounter what we would call wisdom, but when God meets us when we're doing something bad, when God meets badness with goodness, what we have, to, uh, we have to grapple with and receive is the fact that God did not confront us in wisdom or confront Jacob in wisdom, but rather confronted him in grace and confronted him in mercy. And something about that has to change you. 
It changes you forever. And so um, I was thinking about this in my own story. You know, at Clay High School, like I've been kind of doing my little confessions on Sunday mornings in these last couple weeks because I do connect with Jacob quite a bit. Um, I, uh, my name, you know, Oliver, it means peace. It's like a olive branch petition. That's where my name comes from. And so um, early on, I, I remember in prayer that people used to tell me, you know, I sense that you're not called to be a peacekeeper. You're called to be a peacemaker. There's a difference between being a peacekeeper, a people pleaser, uh, you know, a chaos avoider, somebody that tries to not rock the boat and somebody that actually makes peace that establishes, you know, shalom peace in, in a situation. And, um, and that's not how I grew up. I, I think... Um, I think the high school thing, you know, and moving into IU Bloomington was a stripping for me. Like, it pulled away all the ways that I could make people happy and make people proud. And all of a sudden, IU Bloomington is a sea of 40,000 kids. Nobody cared what I did. Nobody cared about my Adam Sandler song. Nobody cared about what I had to bring to the table or offer or my charm or whatever else it is, right? It was either God was good enough for me or nobody was good enough for me or nothing was good enough for me. He removed me from that situation, and he met me in that situation. He met me in my depression and my hard questions. And he met me in my frantic desire to keep people happy or get people to get happy that I could find some sort of an affirmation in myself. And that is the Jacob story, right? Because like Esau looks bad compared to Jacob because he's pulling on his Harley and he's roaring down Woodruff Road and he's ticked at the world. And meanwhile, the six foot Asian monster is doing great and leading Adam Sandler songs. And it seems like that's the good guy and the bad guy. But what's the reality is that both of us are sinners. Like Jacob and Esau are both sinners and both of us need to get pulled into the wilderness and both of us need to meet grace face to face. And it's in that place of the village that I could never ever have experienced um, some of the words and some of the prayer and some of the the things even um, that Kristen was speaking about this morning in terms of God meeting us, not just in our goodness when we're shiny and bright, but in our badness and our loneliness and even our self-loathing and confusion. And so where are you on this? You know, like in the wilderness season, how long have you been there? And Are you learning to worship in this place? This is what Jacob responds with when he meets God face to face, the God that reaches him when he's running and the God that blesses him just to bless him, not because he's good, because he's done anything right or wrong, just because he blesses him. The strong hand of God's grace. What what happens? So Jacob responds. He says he awakes from the dream. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. I mean, think about this. Like that, that we as human beings can casually make our way to talk to um, eternal people, image bearers that will live on forever and move in and out of church services like this and talk to people that are broken and scared and lonely and move past them as though, as though they were nowhere places from nowhere land and believe that, that it's meaningless, as though, as though one second on this earth could possibly be meaningless with the God who comes to meet people where they're at. Look, at he says, God was in this place and I wasn't aware of it. I had no idea. I had no idea that the place that I'm standing, even though I'm calling it a nowhere place, is a holy place. I had no idea that the car that I was driving to work was a sacred altar and a sacred temple where I was meant to experience the grace of God. I had no idea that the college that I was going off to and the sea of people that I was getting lost in was the place that was supposed to be a a formative spiritual classroom for me. I had no idea that God was in this place and I was simply unaware of it. Verse 17, and he was afraid. And he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone and he placed it under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Luz actually means a kind of deception the way that he was. God is changing 
Jacob's name forever. Jacob is, is changing from being a deceiver to being someone that's dependent on God. And that's the nature of grace. Like when you're doing good things and you meet God when you're doing good things, it's, it's not the same as when you're meeting, meeting God when you're empty and, and hopeless and hungry and broken, right? Because when you're doing good things and you meet God, you might find wisdom. But when you're doing bad things and you meet God, you find grace. And grace is the only thing that can change you. It's the only thing ultimately that can give you your real name. Until then, you're spinning things and you're the big fish in the small pond and everybody knows you and you don't have to depend on anybody because your parents are paying for you and your mentor is telling you what to do and everybody's encouraging and then when you get tired of that, you just drink a chai latte and call it a day. And you're unaware of the fact that you're on holy ground and God has a name for you that this world doesn't know. And until you're in the wilderness, he can't open your eyes and you can't see him face to face and he's always your father's God or the God of Louis Giglio but he's not your God yet. And he might be the God of wisdom, but he's not the God of grace yet because he hasn't broken you yet and you don't think you need him and you think you're better than other people still and you think that this life is a burden and it's not a blessing. This life is a blessing and heaven opens up so it can come down, not to so you can climb up. It says the spirit is poured out on all flesh that we would turn. You know the great blessing that we have. I was driving down Woodruff Road. You know that road. It's crazy out there. Bless you. I was out to Lowe's. I, I got two left hands. I can't put anything together. Me and Kyra have an iCloud fix-it uh, fix photograph now, cloud stream. If something's broken, Kyra just takes a picture of it. Ding! My phone's dinging all the time. There's all this stuff to fix. So I go out to Lowe's. Little Ollie, he wants to spend time with me all the time, so he's cruising down there. So I got the traffic against me. I got little Ollie kicking me in the back. I'm going to Lowe's. I feel inadequate. I'm not feeling good. And when you're driving down that road, like, there's always a reason to find that life is a burden, and not a blessing. There's always a reason. There's always a reason to think that you're one step down from meeting with God. There's always a reason to think that there's some preacher you've got to go get pray for you. There's always a reason to think that you've got to strain into worship and meditate and get some chi going so that you can really find God. You'd really have it then, wouldn't you? You'd really have the blessing. If you could just fix it, if you can make it on your own, right? But it's God that meets you there and says, listen, the whole thing is a blessing. The whole thing is a blessing because... It's not the stuff, it's the person, it's the giver. He's the blessing, that Jesus is the blessing. I want to show you a cool passage in John chapter 1. If you go with me, it says in verse 43, John 1, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, the Messiah. And about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus is in the scene. It says in John chapter 1 that, that the light moved in the darkness. Darkness couldn't comprehend it. He moved into the neighborhood is what the message says. He tabernacles with man and he begins to move into this place. And he's not separate and stagnant. His holiness doesn't set him apart from people. He continues to pursue people and light moves into the darkness. He begins to call disciples. He calls them by name. You know, He says, Philip and Nathaniel, I know you and I know your story and I saw you under the fig tree. And I've come to see you. You haven't come to see me. You weren't looking for me. I come to look for you. And you weren't being good. And I blessed you because you were good, because you're wise. I came to bless you while you were being bad. I came to bless you while you were running from me, while you were broken, while you were in a nowhere place. Listen to what he says. Nazareth, can anything come out of there? Nazareth, the nowhere place from nowhere? The Honda Civic you drive to work every day? You think God's going to talk to you in the Honda Civic? In the shower? You, you know, you're from Where? Eight mile? What is that called? Nine mile? Possum Kingdom? Where are, you, where are you from? South Bend, Indiana? That nowhere place? Don't you got to know you got to go to Hillsong or Australia or go get blessed at a conference or something to go talk to God? 
you better go worship for 45 minutes. Heaven doesn't come down to you. You got to climb up the steps. Go find the ladder and get up there. There's nowhere place that God is coming into this place and tabernacling with man. These dirty, grungy, poor people that are all broken. He says, this is the Messiah. He says, come and see. Come and see. Open, see that? Open their eyes. Open their eyes. Not just see with the optics, see with the heart. And see who this is. See who you're dealing with. The place that you're standing is on holy ground. Because he's here. He's come to tabernacle with man. He's not left you alone. He's come for you while you're running. He's going to bless you while you're broken. Come and see this thing. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an, is an Israelite without deceit. Here's a Jacob that's not a deceiver. Here's somebody that's not telling a lie because he knows who I am. He's changed the deceiver into somebody that depended on God just by way of, of presence, just by being there, just by opening his eyes up. This is the problem we have with worship. Why do I think that driving down the road in my precious car that was, that was given to me by God and my precious son that has a legacy that I don't even get to see and my, my precious Jesus that I'm walking down the street, what on earth could get into my eyes that I would think that's a burden and not a blessing? What on earth could rob me of worship? One second of worship to make me think it's just a common everyday Monday that I got to get through. Man, open our eyes. We're standing on holy ground right now. And heaven came to be with us. And he's saying, he's saying, look, there's an Israelite that gets it. He knows I'm the Messiah. He gets it. This whole thing is about him. And so the whole thing is a blessing and they can't take anything from you. And neither height nor death nor angels or demons can separate you from the love of God and everything is being used for your good and glory as though you have a burden to bear. He's a blessing and he's come to bless you just because you're broken. And until we find that encounter, until we meet him when we're being broken and not when we're being good, we won't find grace. And we'll keep being the peacemaker, right? Or peacekeeper, not the peacemaker. And we'll keep being the proud one, you know? And we'll, we'll keep be being the self-loathing one and the depressed one and the anxious one. Like, we'll always be wrestling with that as long as he doesn't meet us in the wilderness and say, listen, I've come to be with you. I've come to you, so you do not have to come up to me. So, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. There will be greater things than that that are to come. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending on the Son of Man. And Holy Spirit, I'm not done preaching yet, but Lord, I just pray right now that you would begin to open up eyes and open up hearts. Jesus, that we would see, we don't have a being problem, we have a seeing problem. And that we would see the Son of Glory lifted up. And Lord, I just, I repent, and I call anybody here to, to, to repent of, of seeing some kind of a spirituality or a transcendence that doesn't put you as king first. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open up our eyes that we would see the Son of Man lifted up and we would see what, what Elisha saw and see what Jacob saw and see what Nathaniel saw that would see that heaven, heaven is an open place that has come down to be with your people, to call people into salvation and call people into repentance. And so this is how the story ends with Jacob. Jacob makes this vow. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me to this journey I'm taking, with, uh, taking and will give me food to eat, and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you have given me, I will give a tent. And so this is it. Worship, worship is a get-to. It's not a have-to. Worship, but Worship is an overflow. And worship isn't trying to get a blessing. It's, it's a responded life because we have a blessing. Our value here at City Lights, and, and we've been going over values, you know, one per month. And so th there's five values. And the first one we always want to nail is worship. Like, Man, if we're here, I hope we're here to worship. I hope we're not here to 
get some advice about what to do. I hope we're here that we would be able to behold the goodness of Jesus in every season, whether it be Woodruff Road or the road to our death. Like no matter what it would be on every single road that we would have an eye, have a vision and eyes to see that God is good and he is blessing us even in our brokenness, right? And so in every single season, whatever season you're in, whether it's going into a wilderness season, in the middle of a wilderness season, or heading out of a wilderness season, that you would see the goodness of God and not waste the wilderness because the wilderness is for worship. And God, open up our eyes that we would see you face to face, not hear about you and not talk about you and not talk to you. And God, so that we would open up our eyes and, and Lord, so you would show us, God, who you are, that the, the angels are ascending and descending on you. You're our ladder and you're the one that has come down to be with this, be with us. And so three phrases I just jotted down, you might think about it, but three phrases that grace will end in your life is one, I deserve this. And two is, I'm better than them. And three is, I can do this on my own. Grace creates an entirely different environment in our head and our heart and the way that we, we deal with others. If we are out here in the nine to five trying to go get a blessing and we need somebody to tap, pat us on the back and need somebody to vindicate us and justify us when somebody says something wrong about us and we gotta fly off the handle and defend our reputation, we don't understand grace yet. We don't understand the blessing. And the hard part about small churches, you know, small churches like this, is we stay in the, in the little bubble. And the bubble exists to keep things safe. He'll call you out of church, and that'll happen. Like, you'll, you'll be pulled from here and to there and from A to B to C. But that's the tension within the church, is that the church sometimes eliminates the very wilderness that we need sometimes. And, and so, and so the, the danger is that when we get into environments like this, we look to the left and the right, and we, we think that worship is something that we have to do better rather than something that we can see better. And so I just invite you, if you've never had an encounter with him, don't start by doing something or being something. Start by asking him to open up your eyes. Recognize his presence, that you're on holy ground, and recognize that he came to meet with you. In Bethel in California, I remember I went out to Bethel one time, and obviously it's a really world-renowned place right, for worship and prayer, and it was a beautiful spot. But you know what I learned out in Bethel? Out in Bethel? In, Cal in Redding, California, Bethel's got people just like Greenville's got people. And Bethel people pray just like hopefully Greenville people will pray. And the command is not that on earth as is in Bethel, the command is on earth as is in Greenville. And I just came to understand like every place is a holy place where God is. It's not God is there because it's holy. It's made holy because of God's presence. And because Jesus is there and, and the Son of Man is there and angels are ascending and descending on that place. And so the intentional question I just want you to think about uh, this week as you're in groups, as you're speaking with your spouse, is I want you to evaluate, you know, the season that we've been talking about this morning, the wilderness season. The wilderness season is not to waste your time. It can waste your time. Make no mistake, there are plenty of people that walk into wilderness and never walk out of it. You get stuck like the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness because of disobedience, right? But whether it's because of push or pull, it does not matter whether or not it's your decision or your fault or somebody else's fault. Every wilderness season is an opportunity for worship and an opportunity for encounter. And so this is the question that I would have you consider as you go to your small group or go with your spouse or go with your friend and, and even consider in your journal tonight. Um, how have you been worshiping in, in the wilderness? And, and what is it that has pushed or pulled you into the place that you are right now? What is it? What is it that, that you're there for, you know? I would be evaluating like... Um, is there something that, that God is trying to show me? I know people that have been in the wilderness, right? The wilderness season for 15 years. Like, I'm not really sure that that is 
you know, the calling of a disciple of Jesus to be wandering around without community, without definition, and nowhere place and a nowhere plan. Sometimes we're in that wilderness season and we don't have that place, that home, that community, that connection. And there's something that we need to learn from that because maybe we put ourselves in that time out. And maybe there's things that we're not willing to deal with in our past and not willing to submit to into our future. And we will be in wilderness for as long as it takes until we call out to him, until we cry out to him. And that's where that second question comes in. How have you been crying out to God in the wilderness season? It's not unnormal. It's completely normal. I mean, that's one of the things... I think that doctors help you feel so much better too, right? When you show up to the doctor's office and you have that rash on your arm, you're like, no one has ever had this rash. This is the weirdest thing that I have, right? And so we look at the testimonies of Jesus, the testimonies of Paul, the testimonies of Israelites. Like our legacy is a wilderness legacy. It is a very common thing to be where you are. And that does not mean that God doesn't love you. And that does not mean that you have bad theology. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It just means that God wants to meet with you. And so don't waste your wilderness season. I would ask you, how is it that you would cry out to him? He has to put you in a bigger world than you are so that you can depend on a bigger God than you are. If you're not in a desert that is bigger than you and has overcome you, you, don't know how to, you won't be able to cry out to him uh, in something that only he can save you from. And lastly, where has he or might you meet you in the wilderness season? I would invite you, man. Jesus says to close the door, to make wilderness for yourself. Some of us are in that safe place right now and we love it and there's nobody pushing us and there's nobody prodding us and we're just kind of coasting along. And maybe we're in more of a wilderness than we think. But God says, Jesus says, to close the door, to separate yourself. It says it was his custom for him to to move into the mountain and and pull away from the crowds so that he would have nothing to depend on except for the Father. The Spirit was the one that led Jesus into the desert to be tempted and tried for 40 days so he could confront the enemy, right? So it it is not abnormal and is not extracurricular to get into a wilderness season. It is part of the process of getting our names changed of confronting grace face-to-face and having an encounter with him. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to have some uh, time for prayer and ministry as we just pray. Um, But would you pray with me, and and would you maybe think about this story as it might pertain to you as we cry out to him this morning? But Lord Jesus, um, for the transitions in the room, for the new jobs, um, for the confusing confusing parts of life, um, for the new financial struggles, for the new things, Lord, that these changes wouldn't rob us of intimacy with you. And so I just sense, Lord, in scriptures like these and so many others, that you're setting up a heritage and a legacy that you are drawing your people out, that we would come out of the wilderness leaning on our lover. And so for every heart in this room, man, I just pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us this week through your church, even through this worship time that we're going to respond in just a moment. And God, I just pray that you would meet us face to face. And there's just something so powerful about meeting grace, not just meeting wisdom and not just meeting, meeting um, planning and strategy, but meeting, meeting you in grace, meeting you face to face. And so in the broken places, in the wayward places, Lord, I thank you, God, that you're not wasting a moment in the wilderness and you are, you are encountering us with your grace. And so I thank you for doing this work in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.